Amen. Amen. You go ahead and have a seat. Wonderful to worship together. Uh, I'll tell you, I want to actually just give a couple of of quick updates on a, a few things. So I wasn't able to be with you last week because I was coming back from our general council. That's a, a gathering that meets every couple of years. This year it was in Spokane, Washington. So I was all the way out on the sort of west side of things. And uh, my trip got interesting because I, I spent time in each time zone on the way back to, to Eastern Standard Time. So I was in the general council, was in Spokane, Washington. And uh, at that council, we came to the end of a four-year dialogue about things like women in ministry, updates things with our uh, polity statement and uh, statement of faith and things like that. And over the next six months, I would anticipate that there's going to be different things that will come from our national office as we unpack some of those things together. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you follow it closely. Uh, We do have some updates. I know some information that's in the bulletin. If those things are of interest to you, we certainly would encourage you to stay up to date on that. And then we'll be hearing from our national office as we unpack some of those decisions over the next six months. And so there's some process and direction that's happening there. After Spokane, Washington, I was in Boise, Idaho, where I got to meet with some church leaders there and to talk about some different ministry things. I was there for about a day and a half. That was exciting. I got to see Greg Cole. Some of you know him. who used to be on staff here with us. After Boise, Idaho, I jumped another uh, time zone over to Chicago, uh, O'Hare Airport, and spent a little time at the the Wheaton uh, School at the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. We did a couple days of training there, and I actually got to meet up with Ash Holloman, who's one of our elders here at the church who came out and joined us for that as well. So it was sort of an eventful thing. The only negative was that I missed out on Sunday service, which was beautiful. I actually got to tune in uh, a couple hours uh, different time zone when I was in in Boise, but we have a picture here for those of you who were gathered together. What a great crowd of people outside on our dry grass that really needed a drink of water. Uh, but what a beautiful service that ended up being, and Pastor Dan's preaching there in the front, you can see him, and uh, I've heard many, many people say like how much you have been blessed by Dan's leadership, and so we give all the glory to the Lord for that, but I'm grateful for him as well. Uh, one person said, how many cups of coffee does he have before he preaches? Dude's got some energy. And uh, I love Dan's ministry, and so he was able to minister to you last week. And then also, the other picture that we have here, uh, the baptism services. Wasn't that awesome? Let's give a little praise to the Lord. impact that that he is making on different families and different lives. What a wonderful joy for us to be able to celebrate some of those baptisms uh, last week. That's a great joy for us. Hey, as we turn the corner into summer season, we're kind of officially into that. I know you're thinking about vacations and schools now ended and graduation parties done. I wanted to give just a quick update on two things uh, related to sort of financial picture stuff. We like to do this sort of seasonally just to bring it up to speed. The first one is a huge, huge praise. Uh, Our Atlanta team that is getting ready to go, fully funded. Praise the Lord for that. Awesome. Listen, that's a big deal. That is a really big deal because I know some of the people that are going, that was a step of faith and many of them making sacrifices to say, we believe God's calling us to to go and do this. We're going to see how he provides. And it's so neat to hear the God stories of his provision. And I know many of you have already uh, given to the, uh, the, that trip to help us uh, get that team fully funded. And so we wanted to let you know, I, I got a, an update from Pastor Seth that said the team is fully funded. And so we stopped right what we were doing and said, Lord, thanks for your provision. 
and thank you for being a part of that. We're very, very grateful for that. Now it's time to shift gears for that particular team to say, prayer cover, prayer cover, prayer cover. You know, we're praying for ministry, we're praying for gospel impact, we're praying for safety, of course, but we're praying that the Lord's work would be done as that team gets ready to go down later in the summer. So I wanted to share that piece with you. The second one is, uh, we do this periodically as well. What's our biggest need financially? Uh, Biggest need that we have right now uh, is that our general fund is running at about 87% of where we would like it to be. 87% is not bad, B plus, passing grade, and it's not uncommon for us at this time in the year to be about in that place, but we want you to be aware of that, one, so you can pray for it, two, so you can be generous and give toward it, uh, and know where those big needs are, so as we go into the next few months, we want to close that gap, want to see those ministries being fully funded, uh, we're excited about what God has for us, and we want to be a part of it. Thank you for the many ways that your generosity is is already making a difference on a variety of different places. I chose one praise report to give you today. There are dozens that I could say, but we're grateful for your faithful giving and ministry. It's a huge thing. So as we turn the corner into summer, I wanted to give you that little bit of an update. We're also starting a new series today. Uh, so we have come through the Pentateuch, and if there were any of you that would say, didn't think I'd ever read through the whole Pentateuch or make it through the whole Pentateuch, well, you did. Uh, so praise the Lord, you did that. And it was a, it was a rich time. I heard from many, many people, had lots of great dialogue with people, and just hearing how God was stirring and moving to different folks that said, hey, I read through the whole first five books of the Bible. I had never done that before. Now, that's a praise. God met me in the wilderness, and that's a praise. And there's been a lot of other ones like that. So we've come through that series, and with great joy, we're now turning the uh, page to New Testament, and we're actually going to be changing sort of our model a little bit, because what we had been doing, giant kind of chunks of Scripture distilled into a few short messages, we're now kind of inverting that, and we're going to be doing some short chunks of Scripture over a longer period of time as we go through the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. We're going to be starting in Galatians 1. We're going to go through each verse of this in this series, uh, and we're going to be spending several weeks there. So one of the things we've been doing as we've gone through different books of the Bible is we'll give you like a little reading plan. So I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I did realize, I think you can read all of Galatians in like 16 minutes or something like that. So asking you to read that in sections over the whole uh, several weeks of this series probably wouldn't work as well. You could read it, uh, the whole thing today, easily. Uh, What we are going to do instead is we created a little bookmark for you. It's at the info center in the lobby. This is a scripture memory plan. Some of you have not done scripture memory probably since you were a little kid. So it's going to be time to dust off those brain cells and commit some things to memory. And everyone that I've talked to has actually said, I'm kind of excited about this. I talked to one person who said, I'm going to memorize entire chapters of Galatians. I said, well, man, you do what you want. I was picking out a couple verses a week uh, for you. But uh, hiding God's word in your heart is a good thing. You'll have an opportunity to do that. We would certainly encourage you to participate with that in your community groups or your friends or families as well as we go through that. Um, As we uh, open Galatians 1 today, uh, essentially there is a major question that comes when we ask, what is it that we rely on? What do we run to when things get hard? What is it that we put our faith in? And then specifically, if you're interested at all in saying, I've got a relationship with God, well, on what basis do you have that relationship with God? I want to have a relationship with God. Well, on what basis 
Do you want to have a relationship with God? That's kind of the key question that begins to arise as we look at Galatians. I want to read these introductory verses with you, verses 1 through through 5, and then the majority of our time we're going to spend in verses 6 through 10, but that's the chunk that we're going to tackle here today. Uh, So Galatians 1, 1 through following, reads this way. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. What a first verse. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's an intro. I mean, if you stop, you can gloss over it and maybe say, oh, that's just the the hello, it's a salutation. But in that salutation, there's a whole lot of valuable things. So I don't want to run past that with you. I want to note just a couple of things. Number one, notice this, that the origin of Paul's calling and authority is rooted in that which is divine. Uh, This is a powerful statement. It's also a dangerous statement. Right? Because I've talked to a lot of people who, in the name of whatever they have thing to do, is that what God told me, and they fill in the blank, and it might be something kind of crazy, right? So that's a reality. You need some discernment if you're going to go there. But we know that Paul had this divine encounter with the risen Christ. This was accounted for in, in Acts chapter 9. His name was Saul at the time. But if you know the story, he's going to Damascus. He's persecuting the church. He's got kind of big ambition, but he's pointed in all the right direction. And he encounters the risen Christ. And it's so utterly life-changing that now as he's writing, he's actually he's saying, look, I want you to know that I'm not coming to you, I'm not writing to you in the authority sent by men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and by God who raised him from the dead. So he is walking in the authority of Christ. The other thing we note in this introduction is that the orientation of Paul's writing is deeply rooted in the gospel. You're going to hear this all through the book of Galatians, so you have to just kind of get used to it and and get settled in with it. But we see even in this introduction, the grace of God. We see the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. We see at least inferred the lostness and rescue of humanity, and it's all what? For the glory of God. So if you were just kind of taking a couple of notes right from the introduction, you actually have a lot of meaty things here. Take a look at this slide here. What are we talking about when we talk about the gospel? We're talking about the grace of God poured out. We're talking about the sacrifice of Christ for us. We're talking about the rescue. Yes, the rescue for a lost humanity. And we're talking about all of this being done for God's glory. So that as a redeemed people, what do we live for? We live for the glory of God. What do we invest in? The the glory of God. What do we value? The glory of God. So we see that there's this rootedness in the gospel. And, And I just imagine this. Can you imagine this moment of clarity when Paul realizes that he is beholding the risen Christ? I mean, just just capture that moment for a second. Think about how that would impact. Think how that would flow downstream to all of the things that he would do. Think about the times that he would suffer for the cause of the gospel. Think about the times that he would have self-doubt or wonder or carry the weight of unbelief or all of that kind of stuff, but yet coming back to this calling. 
where the risen Christ apprehends him. And in that moment, everything changes. That the death of Christ makes sense to him. That the work of Christ makes sense to him. That hope in Christ that he loved to write about first made sense to him. I asked you at the beginning, you know, maybe you're feeling like you're carrying some weight today. I have felt that. I don't know if I feel it vicariously or just my own junk or both, right? It's probably some, some of everything in there. I came across this quote uh, last, last week, maybe a week or two ago. Um, and it was interesting. I've been following a lot of stuff on Tim Keller because he recently passed away and he's a hero of mine. And so everybody's talking about Tim Keller and writing about Tim Keller and different videos and stuff. And, and I came across this video uh, of him uh, pretty soon, uh, kind of close to the end. And someone had asked him, like, well, what are you kind of talking about? What are you processing right now and everything? What are you and Kathy, your wife? And, and he said, well, he said, the main thing that we are talking about is this. If... Christ rose from the dead. And he said, parenthetically, he said, and I believe that more now than I ever have before in my whole life. I believe it academically, I believe it experientially, I believe it sort of in every way you can believe it. I believe that. But he said, if that is true, then there is no circumstance in all of the world that will not ultimately be okay. Now I think about that and I go, that's a pretty encompassing statement. <laughs> you know, I, I might have to like, I'm gonna have to chew on that for a little bit. And if I hear somebody saying like that who's just kind of walking down the street and going through life and everything's honky-dory and says, oh yeah, God makes everything okay, I tend to gl glaze over just a little bit. But when I hear somebody who's kind of like staring down you know, death's door, thinking about coming to the end, like all of that sort of stuff and saying like, yeah, if Christ has been raised from the dead, there's actually nothing that you face that will not ultimately be okay. He's the one who says I'm gonna make all things new. And so I've been filtering that through the reality of my own experience and the many experiences that I know. We got a lot of people walking through hard things right now. And I go, yeah, I think that checks out there. I think that checks out there too. I think that checks out there too. So we see Paul sort of rooted in the gospel. I'm gonna say one other thing about this. I don't wanna to get too, too deep in this because we're still just in the introduction. But I see Paul also, this is important for us, rooted in the authority of Christ. This is really important for us. He is saying intentionally, it's deliberate. He didn't have to say it, he didn't have to include it, but he said, I am not coming to you as someone who is sent by humanity, sent by man, sent by men, etc." He said, that's not the authority by which I'm coming to you, and I'm not coming to you with my best ideas. He said, I'm coming to you in the authority of Christ. That's actually, we can actually latch on to that. I don't know if you know that or, or realize that, that in Christ, as an ambassador of him, you are not called to go out and just do your best or do what you think is best, but you're actually under orders and under his authority, and in his authority. So that when you go into your school, or your place of work, or the places that God's calling you to be salt and light, your spheres of influence, I mean, listen, this changes your mindset. Instead of sort of fear, you say, I'm going in to the authority, with the authority of Christ. This is deeply meaningful for me. Uh, I, I stand before you today as someone who, frankly, does not always like to do this. 
there is a certain weight in, in preaching and bringing God's word to you that, frankly, I, in, in my insides, like to run from. You know, I have a weekly sort of fantasy about, like, moving to a cabin that I don't see people and just kind of catch fish and subsist and whatever, you know. Why is that? It's because the inside of me can be very fearful. What if I don't say it right? What if I don't get it right? What if, people don't, what if I do get it right and people don't like it? You know, we're gonna get to this here today. By the way, fear of man is a very real thing, right? But what happens when this very morning, before I get out of bed in the morning, I say, okay, Lord, in myself, I don't have a whole lot, right? But in you, I have authority. So I'm gonna come to your church in the authority of Christ, the authority of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about anything I can attain, but through me and in his authority, that's how I come to bring God's word to you today. I won't ever do it perfectly, but I do it in his authority. And that's how you're called to live as well. If you are in Christ today, you are his ambassador. So anyway, Paul had no misgiving about that. He said his authority is rooted in the gospel. And he had this beautiful sort of way. He talked to the Ephesian church. He said this. He said, I pray for you. This is what I pray for you. I pray that you would be rooted and established in, do you know what he said? Rooted and established in love so that together with all of the saints, you would be able to grasp how high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of Christ, that you'd be rooted there. Why was that important to him? Well, Paul goes on to say this to the Galatian church. You would like to think after all of this kind of, kind of high power introduction and gospel oriented and stuff, you'd like for him then to say, you guys got this down. You're doing it great. Keep up the good work. So the Thessalonians, they got a lot of praise in his letters. Uh, Galatians, not so much. Because here's what he says right off the bat. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. This is verse 6 and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently some, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Listen to this last sentence. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Man, that's a lot for us to digest. Holy Spirit, help us as we plow through this here today. We love you and we love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There's three needs I want to talk about as we look at this. First is the need for course correction. This is Paul saying right off the bat, look, I love you guys, but you're missing it, right? There's a, there's a change. You're getting off track, and so we need to correct the course. That is frequently the case in my life, and I imagine in yours as well. So the need for course correction is a real thing. The need for clear communication, what the gospel really is. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about this need for proper approval and getting our mind around that. So let me start, let me give just a quick overview of Galatians. I'm going to do this really in two minutes. Um, this is important to understand that the movement called Christianity 
um, began with a specific people. It began with the Israelite people. It began with the Jewish people. So as people are coming to Christ and this movement is beginning, it's God's chosen people finding the Messiah. And, and this made sense to them, but then what started to surprise them was that it didn't stay there. So it began to cross language barriers and cultural barriers. And then even by the time of Paul's ministry, it's probably evenly distributed between those who are Jewish by birth and those who are not. So now the Jews have received the gospel, but the Gentiles have also received the gospel. And this sort of brings in uh, what Acts 15 sort of talks about as this great debate Should non-Jewish believers in Jesus follow the old covenant in obedience to God? Now, you've got actually a little benefit because we've been in the old covenant and going through the Pentateuch for some time. So you know that the answer to that is, there you go. Someone was bold. Someone was like, I think he's going to say no, but I don't feel like yelling it out. Yeah, it's, it's no. The answer is no. But this was the debate at the time. So Acts 15, they're working through this. And some people have even come to the churches in Galatia and essentially saying, no, the answer is yes. You should. You should be following the Torah. You should get circumcised. I bet you that was an interesting sermon. <laughs> you should follow the Old Testament law. You should do all of this stuff. And what's Paul's response to that? Paul's response to that is the writing of the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul, sort of, there's sort of three sections. We're going to go through this over the, the next several weeks. But we, we have a really clear and almost repetitive indication of the gospel of the crucified Messiah, chapter 1 and 2. It's the finished work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. He says to them at one point, oh, foolish Galatians, are you trying to finish in the flesh what God began in the spirit? You know what I mean? So it's this idea of like, get rooted in the gospel and what Christ has done for you. That would be a good place for us to start. Uh, Then we go into God's new multi-ethnic family. Chapters 3 and 4 are all about that. The the, the family of God is is bigger than you think. Uh, It's more expansive than you think. And of course, all of this checks out with the historical arc of Scripture because it's moving toward the final culmination of God saying, I'm pulling people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations together in worship of my glory. And so we see this multi-ethnic family of God in chapters 3 and 4. And then finally, and this is so beautiful, in chapters 5 and 6, we're going to talk about the transforming work of God's Spirit. Um, This is the thesis that you are not going to achieve righteousness, right standing, justification, and all these theological terms that will unpack. It's not going to be by your efforts. It's a beautiful internal work of the Spirit. I'm going to pause on this just for one second. This is a little sidebar. This little piece is free. You're already clapping. Amen. Priest, spirit. Let's preach. Let's go. Um, this is just an interesting observation. Um, how many of you know somebody that you would call legalistic? They love Jesus, but they get a little legalistic. Anybody? You don't, I'm not going to point them out to you. Come on. Say, okay. How many has, have, have met somebody at one point in your life who's a little bit legalistic, right? Okay. Sure. Sure. We all have. How many of you have been that person who's been a little, little legal? <laughs> right, okay. Sorry. So we're in good company here. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, legalistic folks um, love often to quote Paul because Paul is so theologically rich. I mean, there's a lot of meaty things. Paul gave us the theological grid that we, that we unpack that we call the early church, right? So like, so legalistic people are sort of drawn to that like didactic sort of get it down get it. but here's the interesting thing and it's a bit of a paradox about Paul Paul who was himself 
the ultimate legalist, also becomes the ultimate proponent for the work of the Spirit. That drives the legalist a little bit crazy, that Paul was the one who actually said to the Corinthian church, for example, when I came to you, it was not with wise and persuasive words. I think everything in me was like, just give me the good argument. Like, I'll take the wise and persuasive words. But he said, I didn't come with that. I actually came with demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Because I want you to understand that this gospel is not rooted in the intellect and the wisdom of man. Man, so, so that, you just have to get ready for that as you go through this, especially if you skew a little bit toward legalism, and some of this even gets hit in these first passages. Okay, uh, so I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one, the call for course correction. Essentially, the question that Paul is asking is this, why are you trying to complete in the flesh what Christ has begun in the Spirit? The point being this, that our right standing before God is achieved through the finished work of Jesus and not by our own performance, period. Here's the thing about that. It is so simple that the kids that are in the room could hear that and go, I get it. It makes sense. It's not hard. And yet, the reality of it is so profound that you could work on this the rest of your life, and you probably will. That you're probably going to have to work on this the rest of your life, and you will not fully exhaust the depth of this tension of what does it really mean to rest in the finished work of Christ. Period. Adding nothing to it. No performance of my own. Now, just to show you, I'm not just kind of making this up in the book of Galatians. We see this all throughout Paul's writing. In Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That's accurate from what we were just saying. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This is Romans 1, 16 and 17. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You know, so you see it right there, right? I mean, it's, this is a revealed righteousness. It's not achieved. You're not gonna earn it. Romans, he's saying that. To the Ephesians, he says this. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It just isn't. It's a gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. I mean, this is what he's dealing with with the Galatians situation. Paul knows that as soon as I start adding to the finished work of Jesus, I can get very excited about all that I've done. Look how well I performed it. Look how well I preached the message. Look how well I shared my faith. Look at all of these things that I can get really excited about all of that stuff and miss out on the fact that those do not justify me before God. It doesn't bring righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed. And then I love this. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Well, there's some good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. But understand this, that the doing of the good works always follows the encounter with the grace of God. And you see that consistently through Scripture. Philippians 3 is another example. I'll give you a Romans 1, Ephesians 2, Philippians 3 if you're taking notes. He says, I press, hold, I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. I mean, I'm going for it in the gospel. I'm going for what Christ has done. Because of what he has done for me, I'm going after him. But the one always precedes the other. 
So this need for course correction, here's the Galatian church, and he's saying, guys, you're missing it. You're trying to accomplish in the flesh now by adding to it the things that the Spirit has begun in you, and there is no right standing apart from the finished work of Jesus. That's it, period. So then he goes on to say, if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach, let them be under God's curse. See, Paul had this profound understanding of his calling as a divine encounter. So he was dead set against the idea of trying to work his way into a right standing with God. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. Paul even said in other places, look, if anybody was gonna boast in what they've accomplished, it would be me. And my righteousness is like dirty rags before God. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. And when we internalize this gospel truth, we actually set out on a whole new adventure and we live life in a whole new way. So when Paul says, another gospel's being preached to you, you can see this. You hear this. Sometimes even in your own language, you, you begin to catch the way, wait, I'm relying on a different version of the gospel, usually that involves the omission of something central or the addition of something extemporaneous. So gospel without repentance, right? What's the gospel without repentance? I'm good, you're good, let's just keep up, whatever. It's a total omission of what the need is. The need is my brokenness. The need is my lostness. The need is my rebellious old nature that somebody's gotta deal with that. Well, Jesus Christ has done that. So don't throw out the repentance piece. The gospel without change, the gospel without presence of God, the gospel without the understanding of the lostness, the gospel without grace, all of this is ultimately the gospel without the glory of God. The glory of God expressed in the church is the church that is alive and rooted in the gospel and in the finished work of Christ. That's why a lot of churches are dying. That's why a lot of churches are dead. You know, the, the presence of God isn't there. Why? Because the repentance isn't there. The, the glory of God isn't pursued. And we make up our own gospel and then we say, well, at least we get together. And we sang some nice songs. You know what I mean? Hey, at least, at least we... We didn't do this or we did do this. Again, work, work, work. We do all of these things. And God, that's not how we get our right standing before God. So Paul cuts through all of this stuff. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, if you really want a good example of like modern day works gospel kind of stuff, just like listen to enough country music. You know, I like country music, by the way, so I'm not picking too much. But uh, country music sort of, retains this idea of, you know, God's a good thing and church can be a good thing and, you know, I carouse a little bit on the weekend but I show up to church on Sunday and throw a couple dollars in the plate and all that kind of stuff. So we were, we were, um, we went out west last, uh, last summer and Amy decided, and this was odd for her because she's not a country music fan, but Amy decided if we're gonna be out west, we're gonna do it right. We're listening to nothing but country music <laughs> in the car. So we did. And after a few hours, What's that? Yeah, we had a great time. After a few hours, we're like singing along, you know, because like, they, they replay a lot of the songs that are popular. So you, you learn them all pretty quick. And so we're singing along. We're having a good old time and everything. And, and yet you hear sort of the, the perspective that comes across. You know, I'm trying to keep my daughters in line. I'm trying to keep my sons out of jail. I've got to go to church so I don't go to hell. And you know you're in a, in a country song when you're, when you're rhyming jail and hell and they suddenly rhyme together. You, you are smack dab in the middle of a country song, you know. But, but even that, I mean, it's just, that is sort of the crux of it. Like, oh, I, just, I gotta get myself to church because I don't wanna go to hell, you know. 
I hate to burst anybody's bubble here today because some of you are like, I made it to church. (laughs) This isn't how you get out of hell. It just isn't. You know, it's the finished work of Jesus. It's not what you add to it. It's not by putting a couple dollars in the plate. It's not by, by smiling at a lost person. It's not like, all of these are great things, but they all come after the finished work of Jesus. Like, here's, the, here's the simplicity of this. I said you could ponder this for the rest of your life, but here's how you could ponder this for the rest of your life. Just ask yourself the question, are the things that I am doing for God a result of what he's done for me? And if they are, just keep on doing them. Just keep on going. Enjoy the ride. But if I'm doing it to try to earn the right place before him, understand I'm on a running treadmill. Understand I'm not getting anywhere. Okay, so country music. Hey, how about it? Paul cuts through all of this with the gospel. He says you can't earn it. You're not good enough. You never will be. In fact, uh, if I can just dig into this a little bit more, I heard a speaker recently addressing this question where do we establish our identity? And he had this really interesting observation. He said, you know, it used to be in different times, and especially in different cultures, there was an element of an established identity that came primarily from your family. And if not your family, your community, your tribe, your people, that would say this is the standard by which we're kind of calling you up as you grow up. And I suspect there's a good and bad version of that, right? The good version is, you know, calling certain things that we value out of you and helping you refine those things. The negative would obviously be some of you grew up in families that the the expectation was either so high or oppressive that it was just a guilt-driven experience. So that used to be more the norm that certain family structures or whatever would be setting that thing. However, uh, the more modern version looks like this. I don't define myself by my family or my community. I define myself by myself. I'm getting to that in a second. That's the better answer. I define myself by myself, right? I mean, some of it it is really on the nose. Frozen 2 is really on the nose. Uh, And I don't want to spoiler alert anybody, but like, you know, the, when the mystical voice that's calling you into your destiny actually happens to be you, that's the plot. It's pretty on the nose, right? Like, just look deep enough, all you little eight-year-old girls around the world that, that are trying to be frozen to things, I'm not trying to pick on you, we'll talk about it afterwards if, if you don't like me not liking it. But like that whole idea of like, I'm gonna define myself internally, And yet, here's the sort of tragic result of that. I come out with a identity, a self-defined identity, and we have a generation, multi-generations, who have never been so anxious, so distraught, so needing, so craving, so demanding for the affirmation of my self-proclaimed identity. Why? Because if I lose that, I don't have anything. Paul says, I got a better answer for you than family, and I got a better answer for you than self. Define yourself and your right standing in the gospel. The gospel is going to elevate you and humble you at the same time. When you learn that you could never earn the righteousness of God, you either defy that or you become humble. But you can't do both. When you learn that you don't deserve the love of God. That's a little shocking, 
right? Especially if you've been told that you deserve everything that your heart wants, you know what I mean, just by virtue of being you. You know, this is humbling to say, I don't actually deserve the love of God. And I start to kind of get that in my head, in my heart, and it starts to work in me a little bit. And then I realize that I have received through Christ something that I could never have earned. And it elevates. So the gospel elevates you and humbles you at the same time. Much better way of determining self-worth. I want to keep this message moving, but I'll tell you one other quick side story. I was sharing this with a friend of mine, mentor, older, older guy in the faith. I was talking to him about some things I was struggling with, and I feel like, yeah, you know, my attitude is hard here, and, and I feel like my emotions are kind of up and down in this, and I was explaining this to him, some challenges that I was having. And uh, he said to me at the end, I was hoping he would just give me an answer and say, oh, just do this instead of this. But here's what he said at the end. He said, hmm, you say should a lot. That was his observation. You say should a lot. And I thought about that for a few weeks. I say should a lot. Like I've got this idea in my mind that like after the finished work of Jesus, which I'm all good with that, I really should do this better, do this more, be more disciplined here, da 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 da. And I'm getting out of order again. I'm getting out of order again. I'm I'm working hard to finish something in the flesh that Jesus began in the spirit. So anyway, that's just a little, this is my own therapy. Yeah, I'm working through this too, right? I'm working through it with you. Uh, So so here's the the last one here. So we have this need for clear communication. Um, We have this this need for course correction we started with. The last one is this. We're gonna do this sort of quickly, but this this is really powerful. This is a whole sermon in and of itself. The need for proper approval. So verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? So Paul's kind of laying it on the line right here. This is so rich. This concept is so valuable and in so many ways. Uh, Let me just give you two quick things, especially if you're a leader in the room. Uh, We have a lot of people that are leaders. A lot of people, God's using you to lead in very different ways. And so this is a critical question for you. It's one for all of us, but especially for you, leader. Caution number one is this. Um, If you are excelling at this, in other words, you read this verse and you go, man, I'm I'm crushing it. That's awesome. Uh, Just be a little careful. The caution is be careful that you're not simply a jerk who doesn't value other people's opinions. (laughs) There is a discernment check here that I've heard a lot of people say at different times, I'm just following God, don't care what people think. Well, you got the don't care what people think part down. Kudos to that. But there is also a call to work with people, to be at peace with people as much as it is dependent on you and those sort of things. So don't overrun one because this is where you need some discernment. This is where you have trusted voices in your life where you say, you know, I think what I'm doing is obeying God rather than humanity here. Do you see that as well? right? And if they say no, then you say, I don't trust you. I obey God rather than man. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, have trusted voices that can speak into this thing, but it it requires some discernment. That's just caution number one. Caution number two is this. If you are driven by the opinions of others, you will never fully get off the treadmill of pleasing people, and you won't be able to fully effectively serve Christ. Paul actually lays that out there. He says, if I desire simply to please people, most pastors that I know got into the business because they like people, you know? And I think almost every human I know 
uh, likes to be liked, likes people to be pleased with them. I think one of the best things that happened through uh, COVID season was that leaders, present company included, had to come to terms with the fact that they were not going to be liked at almost every decision that they made. And so they'd have to listen and they'd have to discern and they'd have to have a little bit of courage and get off the treadmill of people pleasing. It's actually good. So there's a huge, rich kind of thing in here and Paul's essentially saying, look, I'm gonna tell you some things that you don't want, but it's for your good. And I'm not doing it to please you, I'm doing it to please God. Um, Here's just a last little thought on this, this idea of proper approval. When we think about the gospel, there's an interesting thing that Jesus prays um, in John 17. I'm gonna wrap up with this. In John 17, in fact, worship team, you guys can make your way up here and uh, lead us out here in just a minute. Um, If you wrestle at all with this idea of how much does God love me? So most of us would probably say, well, I don't, I don't feel super comfortable saying a lot because I know my track record, right? But that in and of itself is a big revelation. That I'm assuming that God's love for me is based on how well I've done. Like, that is the picture that Paul's trying to undo in the book of Galatians. So when, when Jesus is praying in John 17... And he prays for his disciples and he prays for all the people who come after them, like you and me. And he says, pray they would be unified. He prays a few different things. And he, he says this, and this is really fascinating. He says, that you love them even as you have loved me. So if you're wrestling today a little bit with the question of how much does God love you? Because you know your track record and everything. Let me ask you this question. How much does God love Jesus? Like, man, that's, a, that's an anchoring question because if the truth of Jesus' statement is that God would love us even as he loved Jesus, then the gospel actually sounds like this. This is important for somebody. Make sure you hear it. That God does not love us to the measure that we deserve. He loves us to the measure that Jesus deserves. Like, that's the gift of the gospel, So when Paul's talking to the Galatians and he's saying, don't try to add to that. Don't try to add to that. If you want to serve and love and work and walk according to the Spirit and everything, yeah, do that because God's, but do it because of what God has already done for you. So don't invert those two things. I want to just say a quick prayer for you uh, as we wrap this up. I'm going to ask you to stand. Holy moment. We stand before the Lord. So we're beginning this adventure in the new covenant. So God, we need some help and ask you to do some course correcting on us. I sense that probably many of us need to say, hey, I need to really get re-centered on the gospel today. And maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, uh, but there's always a good day to say, Lord, I'm, I'm coming back to the, the central gospel truth of who you are, what you have done in your finished work. So let's pray. God, I want to ask for your favor and your blessing over this journey as we go forward. I want to ask for your favor and your blessing uh, over the fruit of this message right here today. 
that we would find ourselves by your Holy Spirit able to say, I don't need to add to the gospel of Christ. I suspect that there are some that would even come to this conclusion. It is my failed attempts to add to the gospel of Christ that has actually been keeping me from the gospel of Christ. Today, I'm going to stop making that mistake. Today, I'm going to trust the Savior. Today, by His grace, I'm going to encounter the Father's love. Here's a good one for you. Some of you need to just pray this out right where you are. Today, I'm going to rest in the finished work of Jesus. I'm going to rest in the finished work of Jesus. What you find when you go there, and I think what you're in for as we go through this, is that we actually get transformed by the deep work of the Spirit. Some of us come to the place of saying, God, I'm going to reverse the order of grace and works today. I'm going to stop trying to earn it. So Lord, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. You have such a great way of just cutting through all the junk and the facades and the the masks and the excuses and everything else. You kind of strip us down. The gospel has this way of stripping away all those barriers and we just acknowledge that that can be sort of frightening to be vulnerable or to feel exposed in that way. But then there's also this beautiful, beautiful encounter when we say, Lord, here I am realize that you receive me as I am because you love me like Jesus deserves to be loved that's a great gift so Lord despite my ability or inability to say it well I thank you that that truth has life-changing power and I pray that you would cause us to meet you in that place today and as we worship we worship with hearts that are at rest the finished work of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.